The Lord be with you. Good morning and welcome to IPC Zurich on this Epiphany Sunday. We've come from far and wide to experience the depth and breadth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. We pray that this morning's service will be for all of us an encounter with our all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please join me now in prayer as we prepare our hearts for worship. God, our Heavenly Father, remove from us this morning our busy thoughts about our busy lives. Remove from us this morning our distracted thoughts about our distracted lives. Remove from us this morning our troubled thoughts about our troubled lives. Lead us into your presence this morning to give you praise and to receive your grace. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, and can be found on page 783 of the Church Bibles. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and can be found on page 966 of the Church Bibles. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go! and search carefully for the child. 
as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer as we prepare for the preaching of God's word. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, through your spirit, empower us to hear your word this morning and then to go out and do your will. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So you might remember in the uh, run up to Christmas in the time of Advent, we were considering who Jesus Christ is and what he's all about. And specifically, specifically what we were considering at that time was what were called or what we called Jesus' offices, his offices, the official roles he had been commissioned to by God the Father. If you remember, we first talked about Jesus and his office of priest. How as the greatest of all priests, Jesus perfectly represented the people and their needs before God. Their need for forgiveness, for example. Their need for salvation. And then we talked about Jesus and his office of prophet. How as God's representative to the people... Jesus perfectly communicated God's will to the people. How he perfectly revealed God's ways to the people. As a prophet, Jesus acted as God's messenger and God's mouthpiece. Perfectly showing and telling people truth. God's truth. So today I'm guessing while that Perhaps Jesus' prophet, Jesus' priest might have been relatively new ideas for some of us. I don't think Jesus as king is a new idea for too many of us. After all, if we sang any number of Christmas carols in the past month, uh, the idea of Jesus as king would have been explicitly mentioned, right? Think, for example, of a, of a carol like Hark the Herald Angels. What's the first line of that carol? Hark the Herald Angels sing glory to... Right. Wasn't a great response, but okay, take it. Uh, okay. So the idea of king, I think most of us, Jesus king, we're, we're familiar with it. It makes sense. But that said, culturally speaking now, as I look out among you, cultural speak, culturally speaking, the idea of Jesus king might actually present some of us, maybe many of us, with a small problem. This because many of us, I would guess, have never been 
personally subject to the rule of a king. We have never had a king as the ruler of our country. And so, and so perhaps we're not intimately familiar with what a king actually does. Perhaps then to start, to start our discussion of Jesus' king this morning, we should consider what kings actually do, what duties they carry out, what activities they get involved with. So take a moment and think about it. What does a king do? How have kings historically or presently spent their time? Well, maybe those of you who are historically minded, your thoughts have gone back to someone like King Henry VIII, right? King Henry VIII of England, who spent his time shedding wives and acquiring wives, right? He has six of them, in fact. So perhaps we can say that's a kingly activity, shedding wives and then acquiring them. Or maybe if we think of a French king like Louis XIV, we can think a king is someone who acquires great wealth. A king who is someone who builds great palaces. Now, those examples are from long ago. Perhaps more uh, our thoughts are more in the contemporary scene of kings. So what do kings do now if you look at the news and if you read the newspaper or whatever? Well, you get the impression that kings do a fair amount of riding in carriages and parades, right? Uh, they wave from balconies. That's what kings do. Uh, they attend banquets. They cut ribbons at business openings. Of course, they do other things as well, and some of it's, I'm sure, very hard work. But the ceremonial stuff is a big part of a king's job today. Okay, so then just to review, what we know of kings is that, among other things, they acquire and shed wives, they build palaces, they attend banquets, they ride in carriages, they wave from balconies, and they cut ribbons. How now does Jesus Christ fit into this? How does Christ fit into this? He did, after all, none of these things, save for riding in a parade once, right? But that wasn't in a carriage, that was on a donkey, right? So what makes Jesus a king? Or to ask the question that probably should have preceded all the other questions, why are we even speaking about Jesus as a king? Where have we gotten this idea that Jesus is a king? Well, the last question I just asked about where we got this idea from, that's actually pretty easy to answer. It's from the Old Testament and the New Testament that we've gotten this idea from. You see, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, the one who would someday come to be the savior of his people, this Messiah in the Old Testament is clearly and repeatedly spoken of as a king. And then in the New Testament, when the Messiah actually comes, when he's born in a stable as Jesus of Nazareth, well, he's spoken of a king then too. So let me just give us a, a little bit of a sampling, sampling first from the Old Testament and then from the New Testament, scriptural passages that speak about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as king. Probably the key prophecy in the Old Testament comes not surprisingly from the book of Isaiah. Uh, this is about the Messiah's kingship. Isaiah predicts that the Messiah to come will be a royal one, someone who follows in King David's line. This is what we hear. 
For us, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And here's the key part. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Right? But that's not the only place in the Old Testament we hear of the Messiah's kingship. Uh, in what was just read by Ingrid earlier from the book of Jeremiah, we hear this about the Messiah to come. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And then one more from the Old Testament, book of Zechariah, we hear this prophecy about the Messiah to come. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And note, the reign of this king will not just be over Israel. It will be from sea to sea. It will cover the whole earth. Okay, so that's from the Old Testament. Prophecies about the Messiah King to come. Let's take a look now at the New Testament as we look at the fulfillment of these prophecies in Jesus Christ. So we see similar language in the New Testament about Jesus the Messiah as King. Uh, for example, when the angel Gabriel announces to Mary the impending birth of Jesus, he says this, you will be with child and you will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and we've called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And then a story from today, the Magi's visit to Jesus in Bethlehem from Matthew 2. We read these Magi, they're seeking a child king, right? And they're bringing kingly gifts to him, gold, frankincense, myrrh. And then later, shortly before his death, Jesus professes his kingship himself. He acknowledges his kingship in front of Pilate. You are a king then, said Pilate to Jesus. Jesus answered, you are right in saying, I am a king. And finally, I could mention more, but finally in the Apostle Paul's letter, first letter to Timothy, we read Paul's description of Jesus here in terms that are very kingly indeed. He calls Jesus God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, and the Lord of Lords. Okay, so that's the easy part, I think. Establishing the fact that Jesus Christ is spoken about and identified as a king. Now the harder part. What about Jesus actually makes him a king? How does he act like a king? In order to be a king, after all, you kind of have to act the part. Well, that's a tough one. So let's see, born in a stable, not very kingly, from a little town back in the U.S. we'd call the hick town in the north of the country, not very kingly that, 
probably works in his father's trade as a carpenter until the age of 30. Again, hardly anything kingling about that. And then at 30, he goes into ministry. And I can tell you, there's not much kingly about that. <laughs> Furthermore, when he's in ministry, he seems to have no fixed place of residence, no castle, no palace, no house of his own. Doesn't seem to have a lot of possessions, no silver, no gold, no land, no livestock. In fact, Jesus doesn't appear to have much more than the, the coat on his back. Furthermore, in addition to the lack of property and possessions, Jesus doesn't seem to uh, have the uh, occasion to boss people around like kings have the occasion to do, right? People, in fact, seem to boss him around. The religious leaders of the, of the time, they eventually get sick of him and they arrest him and he gets shuffled and shuttled from court to court. And then he dies on the cross like a, a common criminal. A king's life? Hardly. How then can we understand Jesus as a king? His life would not seem to represent a life of kingship. Well, I would say this is how. Jesus, as the son of God, as God himself, as king of the universe, ruler of the world, as part of the Holy Trinity, he is king. It's who he is, who he was, and who he always will be because he is God. But this is the key. When he came to earth as Jesus of Nazareth, he did not come primarily as a ruler. He came as a servant. He came as a servant of God to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish on planet earth. And what God wanted to, to accomplish on planet earth was the reconciliation of humanity to himself. Jesus came to reunite these two parties that had been separated by the sin of humanity. Humanity and God were estranged from each other because of the fall. They were at odds with each other because of the fall. And it was Jesus' calling, his role as a servant to get the parties back together. So the reason we do not see the kingship of Jesus front and center during his time on earth is because his mission on earth was not primarily about ruling as a king. It was about serving. It was not about issuing edicts and lording over nations. It was about suffering and dying for the benefit of humanity, for our benefit. This voluntary giving up of power and majesty in exchange for suffering death, uh, many of us know that this is pointed out by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says this. Paul's commending Jesus' attitude to the believers there in Philippi, and he says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus Christ in his life on this earth, it was all about servanthood. And this is why his kingship is difficult for us to recognize during this time. Now, 
That said, that said, there were instances during Jesus' time on this earth in which his kingship, his rule, his lordship was revealed. For example, some of us know the account from the book of Mark where Jesus quiets a storm, right? So when Jesus quiets a storm, he shows that he is a king. He's the son of God, the ruler of the universe. We just get a little glimpse here of his kingship. But on the whole, he didn't come to reign and rule. He came to serve and to die. Okay, so if Jesus didn't act like a king much while he was on this earth, when is he going to finally embrace his kingship? When will he start acting the part? Well, we get a clue about this in that very same passage from Philippians 2 I just read. We read here that Jesus Christ is not always going to play the role of a servant. In fact, he's not playing one now. God the Father had other plans for Jesus after his time of servanthood. And this we read in verse 9. Therefore God exalted Christ to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that all that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the day is going to come. The day is going to come when everyone will know Jesus Christ is king. He already reigns in heaven now, as the verses alluded to. But someday, someday, everyone on earth is going to recognize him for who he truly is. And that is a king. The Apostle John speaks of this day in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, John records visions that he has been given by the Holy Spirit. Visions, visions which include poetic and figurative descriptions of the end of the world as we know it. One of these visions describes the day when Jesus will return to this earth. The day when he will fully and completely establish his kingdom. His kingdom of justice and peace. It's the day when Jesus Christ will restore this world to all it should be and all it will be. A day when he will overcome his enemies a day when he will gather his people to himself. So on that day, the one who was called the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God, he will finally be recognized as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Here's a brief description of that day from the book of Revelation. The Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be called chosen and faithful, his faithful, chosen and faithful followers. So once again, the reality that is already now, Jesus Christ is king. This reality will someday be recognized by all. Okay, nice to know, huh? Nice to know, you're all thinking. Well, that's great, Pastor Mark. Jesus Christ is king. Take that one home with me and think about it for about one second. Right? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that Jesus Christ is king? Of course, a nice idea that Jesus Christ as king is up there in heaven and that someday he's going to come as king of this earth. But why does that matter in the here and now, for example? Well, it matters in many ways. In many ways. But I think one way it really matters in the here and now is that it gives us hope as believers. Great hope. 
Let me explain. If you're of a certain age, well, any age for that matter, I think. If you're of any age, you've perhaps noticed that life on earth isn't always that easy. In fact, sometimes it's downright hard. And sometimes it's downright awful. This because wars decimate, right? Natural disasters destroy. Accidents happen. Tragedies occur. People get sick. People die. Marriages fail. Friendships fall apart. Jobs are lost. Careers are ruined. Kids get abused. The poor get used. Pain is widespread, yes? Suffering is universal. Disappointments are common. Failures are frequent. So much bad stuff in this world. So much bad stuff in our lives. And this bad stuff, it is powerful. It's powerful. Think of things like cancer, anxiety, heart disease, loneliness, Alzheimer's, depression, drug addiction, diabetes, rejection. All these things have the, the power to call the shots in our lives. They all have the power to destroy our lives and even sometimes take our lives. They can rule like kings already in our lives. And if we think a little bit outside maybe our close circles, think of the power of dictators. Think of the power of armies, terrorists, bullies. Or think about abusive parents, abusive spouses, abusive bosses. These people too have the power to call the shots in our lives. They have the power to change our lives, to take over our lives, to ruin our lives. They too can play the role of kings in our lives and rule our lives. But only to a point. Only to a point can they rule our lives. Everything I just mentioned or could have mentioned is actually subject to one thing. And that is the rule of Jesus Christ. Everything I just mentioned or could have mentioned is actually under his authority. Right now, it might not appear so. Right now, it might not feel so. But I can assure you, it is. And so in reality, in the final analysis, none of the things I just mentioned is actually king. Only Jesus Christ is king. To be sure, these things and these people I've just mentioned have immense destructive power in our lives. But only for a time. They can do an incredible amount of damage. But only for a time. They can make life miserable for thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, hundreds of millions. But only for a time. Only for a time. For the day of the coming of Jesus Christ be upon us. When Christ will return to this earth to repair all, to renew all, to restore all for those whom he loves and who love him.
And this, my friends, should give us hope. The hope of a different reality, the hope of a better reality, the hope of an eternal reality ushered in by Christ the King. If we go back to John's visions in the book of Revelation, we read this vision of the eternal reality to come, this reality ushered in by Christ the King. Here in this vision, Christ the King makes a pronouncement about the nature of his rule. And this is what he says. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. I am making everything new, King Jesus says. In other words, I'm restoring everything to the way it should be. I'm righting all wrongs. I'm repairing all that's wrecked. I'm healing all that is diseased. I'm making whole all that is broken. So in the end, what the eternal rule of King Jesus means for us very personally as believers, again, as people who love Jesus and are loved by him, what this means for us very personally is that cancer won't ultimately win. Heart disease won't ultimately win. Mental illness won't ultimately win. The addictions won't ultimately win. The anxiety and the fear we possess won't ultimately win. Loneliness won't ultimately win. Or the debilitating disease or the chronic condition that we've dealt with for our whole life won't ultimately win. All the disappointments and failures we've experienced in our lives, they ultimately won't win either. Nor will the suffering and pain we've experienced in our lives. All the insult and injury that we've been subjected to, all the abandonment, abandonment and rejection we face won't ultimately win. And not even death itself will ultimately win. Because Christ the King will ultimately win. Because he and he alone is ruler. Let me close with this. Given all we've talked about this morning, it's no wonder that the church of Jesus Christ since its earliest days has been praying a, a little prayer found at the end of scripture. It's the one that comes at the end of the book of Revelation. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. And it's simply this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And I think this prayer is ultimately a prayer for the coming of King Jesus. It's a prayer for the coming of King Jesus. It's a prayer that attests to the hope that we as believers have in the power of King Jesus. His power upon his return, again, to repair all, to renew all, to restore all for those whom he loves and who love him. I think it's a fitting prayer for us believers to pray now, just as it was a, a fitting prayer for believers to pray in the first century. And I hope we all continue to pray this prayer with great hope and also with great expectation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, King Jesus, come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. King Jesus, we ask you to come. We ask you to come to completely and fully Establish your kingdom 
on this earth. Help us to prepare for that day. Lord, help us through your spirit to have the hearts we need in order to welcome you when that return takes place. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Go from here this week, awaiting, expecting, and anticipating with hope the return of Christ Jesus, ruler of this universe and restorer of this world. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and remain with you always. Amen.